right, welcome back to From Aid Arbitration. And today we're going to get into the final episode of the Joint Statement on Violence Behavior in the Workplace. I feel like we've done some good, put out a lot of information. A uh, few people have reached out. Some are already getting their case files together and having some issues. And I'm going to talk about that at the end of, of my little episode. I'm going to get into a little rant, if y'all don't mind, because... There are some things that I hear and some things that we deal with that really piss me off as a union because it's the exact opposite of what a union should be. And we'll get into those things when I finish up here, okay? But what I want to do is I want to talk about the arguments that management makes. I I talked uh, in one of the earlier episodes about management always makes the same argument when we bring forward joint statement cases that carriers just don't like to be supervised and they had weak management in the past now here's a new manager has a different management style and carriers just don't like it and uh, it's cutting their overtime and all these things and so that's their argument to the arbitrators that these carriers they're not being bullied or harassed they just don't like to be managed okay so i'm going to get the two cases that i've been talking about the arbitrator August decision out of Hattiesburg, which is 33831, not 5-1. I think I said 5-1. A gentleman called me out on that. So thank you. It's 33831 and then 35122, 35122. I'm going to talk about management's position and also Article 3. Management will always bring in Article 3, that they have the sole right to remove and discipline. We have no say so in that and that's another argument that they make so it's going to be a lot of reading and i apologize for that i hate that but i want to i want to tell y'all management's position this is how management feels when we go to arbitration this is what management says okay also if you go to 33831 arbitrator august decision out of hattiesburg 33831 it's got the union's entire remedy she, she did all 14 of them. And so if you want a great remedy to see it, I know I talked about it. If you want to see it, look in uh, 33831 on page 7 and 8, and it has the union's entire remedy typed out. She did that. So you can copy and paste her remedy and then just change it to fit your narrative, okay? That's a great resource right there. That will help you. That will save you a lot of time. Uh, so you have the issue. We read that. Now you have the remedy. Page 7 and 8 of 33831 is perfect. It'll help you tremendously uh, because a lot of times remedies on joint statement cases are difficult. You've got so much, so much that we're saying that management violated. It's, it's easy to forget things, and we don't want to do that. So 33831, C number 33831, it's Arbitrator August decision out of Hattiesburg, and there's the remedy that we brought forward. Now y'all may have, I always say this, because I do not want to make it sound like we're the experts at this. You know, I, I Cliff and Jay, I'd call them experts, but I don't want to come on here and act like, do it this way or you're going to lose. I still lose. I still lose things. So I'm just telling you how we do things so it can help you. You may have other people that have other ideas. That's fantastic. You know, just make it your own. But anyway, pages 7 and 8 of 33831 will show you the remedy that requested. And I think that that will help you. I really do. All right. I'm going to tell you management's position. I'm going to read it to you. Management's position. And this is what, uh, this was in Hattiesburg. And this is how management felt. This is what they brought forward. We brought a case against their manager and their management team. And in their opening statement and throughout the hearing, this is their position against us. Okay, so I want you to hear this. And uh, because you may at informal, you may not have to deal with this at all. You may not have to deal with management bringing any kind of contention forward. I remember I was the formal. I was the informal. Step A representative in Hattiesburg. I'm the one who brought the contentions in, sat them down in front of the supervisor. It was a massive file. And he sat there and looked at me. And uh, Cliff Stoddard was in there with me because they wanted their MPU in there with them. 
and I told him, I said, that's fine if you want a witness in here. Uh, so Cliff Stoddard came in. He was the formal Estepe representative. So he came in to also witness me handing him this file. He never looks at it. He never looks at the file, the supervisor. So I said, you know, if you don't mind, just skim through the file. At least say you touched the file. <laughs> so he does just that. He takes the file and he skims through it. He just takes one end of it and like a deck of cards, just flips through it. He said, okay. I said, all right. I said, well, I'm going to read you my, my issue and I'm going to read you my remedy. And uh, so the input was standing there and I went through the entire issue read it to him. I went through the entire remedy. I told him, uh, I said, Mr. So-and-so, I, I said, we're asking that you be removed from your position as a supervisor in city letter carriers. I said, we're going to ask that the supervisor that works with you, Ms. So-and-so, we're asked that she be removed from supervising letter carriers. And so went through the whole thing just like that. And I said, do you have anything to say? Nope. I said, all right. So anyway, this is the case that we took forward. And we go to hearing, uh, Jay uses me, uh, he used one witness from, uh, the city carriers. Then he used me as the informal step a representative and about halfway through my testimony, I'll never forget this <laughs> about halfway through my testimony, Jay is taking me through the file, through my contentions and arbitrator August, she stops me and she looks at management and, uh, she's like, and this gentleman's still working here. And, uh, the advocate for management, who's a dear friend of mine, <laughs> a dear friend of mine, he said, uh, well, yes, ma'am. And she's like, uh, looking at the file and looks at him. She's like, I'm not going to be on CNN. And so you knew then they were in trouble. I hadn't got halfway through my testimony, but she told management, you know, I'm not going to be on CNN. She's like, you may need to go make a phone call to see if y'all can do something with this gentleman. And so he does that. He leaves. And he comes back, we got to go forward. She said, okay. So we went forward. <laughs> to me, you know, she's telling you right there what's going to happen. Anyway, uh, so here's their position. Here's their position at the hearing. Management's contentions. And you can find this on page eight. You probably looked at it, but I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to read both of them, both the positions to let you know how, how they come at us. But at the informal, probably don't have to deal with this. At the formal A meeting, you'll probably get a lot of their handwritten contentions, a lot of contentions that we don't have the authority, Article 3, all those things. And then they're really going to pile it on at the hearing. So here's what they said. Management contended that the issues in this case are numerous, but the crux of the case at bar concerns the alleged violation of the Joint Statement on Violence Behavior in the Workplace and the creation of a hostile work environment by management, specifically management manager Jeremy Hanners. According to management, the issues brought forth in the instant grievance do not rise to the level of a joint statement violation. Management contended that none of the statements provided by the union provide proof that management has created a hostile work environment or violated the joint statement. Additionally, according to management, most of the statements are vague and generic and honestly viewed leads the reader to believe that manager Hanners is simply doing his job by holding the employees accountable for doing theirs. what I tell y'all? <laughs> that, that's 100% of the time. We're not berating them, belittling them. We're not creating a hostile work environment. They just don't know how to be managed. You'll always hear that. The service contended that manager Hanners has been in the Hattiesburg office for approximately two years and arrived in this office with a different management style than the employees were used to. Hmm. Since the previous management had a more gentle and hands-off approach to employees and their responsibilities, the service asserted that Mr. Hanners has a more business-like approach to postal operations and holds his employees accountable to abide by postal regulations and policies. At hearing, Mr. Hanners testified that the teams that came into the Hattiesburg Post Office never talked to him during their investigation. According to management, they believe that the witnesses were coached to say there will be retaliation. The witnesses further testified that he never yelled at an employee and he never called the police on an employee. Mr. Hannard averred that he instructed his supervisor to call the police. <laughs> and that's why we try to ring the supervisor's ass up. 
According to his testimony, Mr. Hanner stated that he doesn't use any form of intimidation and never disrespected any employee. He noted that he has done nothing wrong in the numerous grievances filed against him. It was the position of management that a review of the employee statements included in the file shows that the employees allude to management making the numbers. Remember that. Making the numbers. Following them on the street, denying their leave, and forcing them to work overtime. Management argued that these are legitimate required management functions. In response to the union contentions that management harasses, intimidates, and bullies the employees, Management argued that there is no evidence in the case file that proves any of these allegations. In response to the union's allegations that since Mr. Hanners arrived at Hattiesburg, there has been more discipline issued in that office, management asserted that Mr. Hanners has an obligation to the service and the employees to correct any misbehavior or misconduct per the Employee and Labor Relations Manual, and there comes a time when corrective action is the only way to accomplish that. According to management, the union has not proven that Mr. Hanners has singled out one or a group of employees and read collectively, the employee statements prove that Mr. Hanners is equal across the board in the treatment of the employees in Hattiesburg. The service contended that the union failed to prove that management at Hattiesburg is doing anything other than the job that is required of them. Management disputed the union's contention that the service violated Article 17 of the National Agreement but not providing all relevant requested information timely. They noted that the union stated timely and not that management did not provide the requested information. Management contended that they complied with the union's request in accordance with the national agreement. The service found it worthy to note that Hattiesburg, Mississippi is the home office for NELC Executive Vice President Brian Renfro. And when the employees here don't like the present managerial style, they'll call Mr. Renfro. Management noted that Mr. Renfro gets one side of the story and then the union is on a witch hunt to remove Mr. Hanners and demote the supervisors in that office so that they can come to work every day and do as they please. Management asserted that the Postal Service is in business for one reason and one reason only. Trust. That's pretty, ain't it? Trust. <laughs> the American public trusts that their mail will be delivered in a safe, efficient, timely, professional manner. In order for the service to be successful in this great responsibility, standards are expected and must be enforced within the parameters of postal policies and the collective bargaining agreements. Management argued that the service takes the JSVB very seriously. They further argue that there is nothing in the case file to prove a violation of the joint statement. In fact, according to management, if Mr. Hanners or any member of postal management physically or verbally assaulted an employee, or it was proven that he bullied, threatened, or intimidated employees, we more than likely would not be here today since the Postal Service would live up to its obligation to change that behavior. Management further argued that nothing in the case file elevates to a violation of the joint statement, and as such, the service requested after considering the testimony and evidence presented, the arbitrator deny the grievance in its entirety. Okay, beside that being a bunch of hogwash, here's what happened. This is the case where we knew that this gentleman was from Florida. So we get these B-team decisions from Florida where he had violated, they had found him in violation of the joint statement, okay? We read every single one of them. And every single one of them had the exact same argument to the T. These people just can't be managed. He's got a different managerial style. Uh, it's lax before him. Now he's here. They don't like him. Every single one said that. Okay, so this was not a new argument to us. This is another argument to us. So when they say that they would take responsibility and handle that, always know that that's a crock of shit because management will never manage their own. Period. Formal A's, if you get 10 B-team decisions, or if you get them as an information request at informal, informal A, if you put in an information request for discipline and you get 10 past decisions where this gentleman, this lady or gentleman has violated the joint statement or, or section 115 of the M39 handbook, or if your business agent or your president is able to get you past decisions, read every decision Read them all, especially management's position, because it will always be the same. 
as an advocate, if I've got, I'll take, take Lake Charles, for instance. I had several cases in Lake Charles on overtime, window of operation, dispatch of value, where it was started out at $250 a violation. Well, it didn't start there, but when I got there, they had already escalated the remedy to $250 per violation per carrier. We went there so many times when I left, it was up to $1,000 per violation per carrier. So every time there was a, a Article 8 violation, every carrier in the station would get $1,000, $35,000 right off the jump. But part of that case file, the president down there, A.J. Bro, was fantastic at Article 8. And he was fantastic at noncompliance and escalated monetary awards, Okay. But he had like 80 B-team decisions. I read every single one of them. I read every single B-team decision that was in the file. Why? Because I'm going to show the arbitrator that management's argument back at number one is still the same argument at number 83. They're still the same argument. They're still losing. They're still not fixing the problem. So anytime you have a bunch of B-team decisions or Formal A decisions, read them all. And get the arguments from management and every single one of them. Because I'm going to guarantee you, just like with this Hattiesburg case, it's the same argument every time. The carriers cannot be managed. Management is just managed. It's a different management style. It's the same argument. Okay? So that's their argument in that one. What did I tell you in a couple episodes ago? The argument's always what? Carriers just can't be managed. They just, they're just not accepting of this management style. If we leave, they have free reign. The management style before us was uh, complacent, was laxed. Now I'm here, and they just can't be managed. It's every time, okay? That was that one. So let's go to the second one, okay? Let's go to Clinton. Now in Clinton, we kind of reversed roles. Jason actually was the informal step A representative, and I was the advocate, okay? Now, this time, they sent some guy from area down, some bigwig, to go against me, right? And let me tell you, this little dude, man, he came in there like a peacock. He was prancing around, loud, overbearing. It was hysterical. And... uh I was killing that son of a bitch, but it was so funny in this hearing how he was just sitting back. Man, he was rule of the roost and uh, was just getting slaughtered in there. It was funny, but uh, I'm not going to say his name. It's on the file, though. 35122. C35122. Here's management's contentions for this one, okay? Here's, what, here's their position. Management contended that the issues in this case are numerous and involve an alleged violation of the Joint Statement on Violence Behavior in the Workplace. They further contended that the alleged subject of the cited incident failed to testify at arbitration. Thus, the union's case is predicated on the statement and testimony of witnesses, Keisha Robinson and Tammy Patterson, to establish whether or not Postmaster Ragsdale violated the Joint Statement on Violence Behavior in the Workplace. Now, the two ladies they just mentioned, those were people that worked at an outside business that were witness to this manager berating the CCA because of the way she was delivering mail. Uh, and so these two witnesses come out to protect the CCA. The CCA's crying, humiliated, demoralized, and these two ladies come out there and stand in between her and the manager. And they're saying, hey, not here. So one of them takes the girl away you know, comforting her and the other ones addressing this manager. So those are two ladies that came to the hearing and testified for us, and they were fantastic, and they, they saved the day. According to management, P.M. Ragsdale made no threats against CCA Owens as corroborated by the testimony of the union's witness and their statements, as well as Postmaster Ragsdale and Supervisor Patterson and their statements. The service contended that nor did P.M. Ragsdale threaten CCA Owens with discipline as established by the testimony of Robinson and Patterson as well as that of P.M. Ragsdale and the statement of Supervisor Jackson. Management reviewed the circumstances which led up to the alleged confrontation and noted that P.M. Ragsdale was attempting to correct a delivery issue where CCA Owens went inside to deliver mail which should have been delivered outside of the building. 
The service maintained that the parties who signed the JSOV based on a brutal and violent incident which occurred at Royal Oak, Michigan, certainly did not intend a matter where management attempted to correct a blatant delivery deficiency to fall under the umbrella of the JSOV. Now, you see how they spun that? A blatant delivery deficiency to fall under the umbrella of the JSOV. Here's, here's what happened. This CCA had been delivering this route for some time. And they have a collection box outside. And they have one of those NDBCUs outside, right? Uh, she had been delivering mail inside the businesses since she's been on this route. And the, the mail is inside. She takes it in there. She gets the outgoing mail. And so that's how she's been doing it. And they have ridden with her before, not this manager, but they have ridden with this girl before and never said anything about it, never addressed it. It was business as usual. So this gentleman goes out with the postmaster and the supervisor, and he's going to watch her. So she goes in the building, and he berates her in front of these people that work at this business, an entire office complex. He's berating this girl in front of these people. Why are you not delivering it outside? Voice raised, interface. Uh, she's like, I've always delivered. He won't let her speak, berating her, belittling her in front of these people. So much so that people come out of their offices to see what's going on. You know, what's happening out here, sir? You can't be doing so. They're telling him, you can't be yelling in the office like that. He continues. Finger and fate, belittling this girl. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> and so uh, they wrote statements. But remember that. Here's how management said it. Attempted to correct a blatant delivery deficiency. That's how they think about you. They can do whatever they want to and use it under the guise of, hey, we're just trying to correct some things out here. We're just trying to correct a blatant delivery deficiency. Really? They go on. The service further argued that neither did Arbitrator Snow, who is the very authority that made the JSOV an enforceable contract between the parties, intend that such a situation would be covered under the joint statement. Management contended that Arbitrator Snow opined that the JSOV could not be a prophylactic against every insult real or imagined, every harsh tone real or imagined, and does not eliminate personality conflicts. They further contend that Mr. Snow held that the purpose of the JSOV was to eliminate direct threats and also kinds of harassing conduct and or environment that could lead to unacceptable levels of stress and thus indirectly violence or threats of violence. According to management, the statements of the two witnesses contain no factual observations which support the characterizations made by those witnesses that P.M. Ragsdale was demeaning, belittling, or aggressive. In fact, Stated management, the testimony of both witnesses regarding the conversation between P.M. Ragsdale and C.C.A. Owens supports the conclusion that the conversation was perfectly appropriate under the circumstances, legitimate work directions. Management argued that even if the conversation involved mere incivility, equivocal conduct, or if the instructions were given in an off-putting manner, or where better human resources relations skills could have been used, it did not establish a violation of the joint statement. The supervisor noted that neither witnesses on that day called 911, nor did they file a formal complaint with the U.S. Postal Service or ask P.M. Ragsdale to leave their business. Management contended that Ms. Robinson and Ms. Patterson simply followed P.M. Ragsdale, Supervisor Jackson, and CCL Owens outside to the centralized delivery unit to discuss why the mail could not be delivered inside the building. Management argued that the concern of these witnesses was the delivery of their mail, that they had their own interest in the delivery of their mail, which likely skewed their view of the interaction between Kirby Ragsdale and CCA Owens. The service maintained that the action of Ms. Robinson and Ms. Patterson on the incident date in response to Postmaster Ragsdale's actions did not support a conclusion that the JSOV was violated on January 27th of 2020. They further maintained that Arbitrator Snow proclaimed that the joint statement on violence and behavior is not intended by the parties to result in witch hunting. Y'all hear that before? Was that in that last one that I read? Witch hunting in complaints about supervisors was certainly not intended to include an add-on complaints about mail delivery. So now they're blaming the customers. They didn't hear what they thought they heard 
their opinions were skewed because they didn't want to start getting their mail outside. They wanted to deliver it inside. So they didn't hear what, what they're telling you that they heard. Basically, they're lying because they didn't want to, to go outside and get their mail. It's the carrier's fault and it's the customer's fault that this guy was in there screaming to the top of his lungs at this young girl. Regarding the failure to provide requested information, management argued that the union's contention that they not receive the Ridley report and PM Ragsdale's training records is only supported by scanned evidence of management failure to respond to those requests for records. The service argued that even if the Ridley report existed and management failed to provide it, the service admits that this oversight did not stop the union from providing a very well-documented and delivered grievance based on the voluminous grievance package. Further, management argued the union failed to establish how the Ridley report, if such a report exists, and PM Ragsdale's training records are relevant to establish a violation of the joint statement occurred on January 27, 2020. Thus, the service maintained that there was no harm suffered by the union. It was the position of management that union witnessed Jason Ashley in his dramatic and very opinionated testimony. He did great. Did not establish a violation of the joint statement on January 27, 2020. The service contended that the testimony of this witness was simply two hours of rehashing previously <laughs> adjudicated grievances that were on no, of no value in de- determining whether a violation occurred on January 27, 2020. So Mr. Ashley stayed up there for two hours getting down, son. Let me tell you, this guy over on the other side, he objected 15 times to J- Jason's testimony. Because Jason was all over management in his testimony. Two hours of it. It's fantastic. I was sitting back. I remember Chris Strickland was my TA. I was sitting back, head back laughing at some of his testimony. Because I don't care in there. I'm going to be me. And so I'm laughing out loud at some of the stuff he's doing to management. Because that cat over on the other side was furious, man. Furious. And so uh, Jay got down, man. The service contended that Mr. Ashley did not testify as to the events which occurred on January 27, 2020. They noted that this witness is working full-time in a union capacity as RAA under national business agent Steve Lassen. Management further contended that the JSOV is not intended by the parties to result in witch hunting. There it is again. In complaints about supervisors from the NBA office in Alabama. They noted that Mr. Ashley testified, but C.C. Owens did not. Not did anyone from the office in question testify on behalf of the NALC. It was the argument of management that Federal Rule of Evidence Number 404 provides that evidence of a person's character or character trait is not admissible to prove that on a particular occasion the person acted in accordance with a character or trait. Now, this is, this is high level, okay? This is high level. He said it was the argument of management that federal rule of evidence number 404 provides that evidence of a person's character or character trait is not admissible to prove that on a particular occasion that person acted in accordance with a character or trait. That's high level stuff that they're introducing there. Now, what we did was we figured they're going to make this argument. Okay, so I find a site from arbitrator Jacobs where he talks about the exact opposite of that, how a trait can be used to establish someone's behavior pattern okay if that's making sense we figure what management's going to do they're going to come in they're going to try to say hey look this case goes back 14 years so they're going to try to defend that look you can't go back 14 years and say that this man is still acting this way today because of how he acted 14 years ago if that's making sense so I find a site, Arbitrator Jacobs, where he has the exact opposite view. It can be used to do that. And I, I'll put that site in my, for advocates, because this is, this uh, formal A wouldn't know what that is. Uh, Federal Rule of Evidence number 404, they have no idea what that is. I put Arbitrator Jacobs' site in my little synopsis type thing so you can see it, advocates. And that way you can pull that up. And when they do that, you put yours in. And uh, they'll try to beat that with that. But that'll be good for you, if that made sense to you. Management argued that the union was allowed to do just that. They contended that despite their objections, Mr. Ashley offered opinion testimony 
on previously adjudicated grievance in an attempt to prove that P.M. Ragsdale violated the joint statement on January 27, 2020. Management's advocate argued that the previously adjudicated grievances were not material to determining whether P.M. Ragsdale violated the joint statement on the incident date. Now, here's where I hammered management when they state that. Two things. Management is not protected under Article 1610. They do not have that, that umbrella of protection. Only those covered under collective bargaining, us, are protected by Article 1610. Management is not. So I can go back 50 years if I want to, because you're not a collect, you're not a member of the collecting bargaining unit. Okay. Also, the joint statement speaks for itself. It says those people whose behavior continues. Now, what does continue mean? That means that it's not for the last 14 days. That means continues. So I'm going to go back as far as I can to show that your pattern of behavior has continued and yet still here we are dealing with the same thing under the same individual because why? Because they will not manage their own, right? So 1610 does not protect management. So when he's saying that, I blast him in my closing. And, uh, and then when he's talking about that, um, us going back so far, I just read the joint statement language. So as for that, that behavior that continues, that's what we're talking about. Okay. The service maintained that the arbitrator should draw a negative inference from the fact that CC Owens did not testify. The arbitrator didn't. She had a statement. She didn't need to testify. She had a statement. She told us that she was too scared to come in there with Ragsdale in there. So she did not testify. The arbitrator that she shot that down. They maintain the court can hold a person's silence against him or her and is free to infer that they are hiding something. Management argued that in a case where the union is asking for more than a cease and desist order or additional employee relations training be ordered, where was CCA Owens? Management further argued that if Mr. Ragsdale behavior was so pervasive on that date, and if he has an ongoing history of such behavior, where were the other employees who have been subjected to such pervasive behavior? The service asserted that this case cannot be decided based on the testimony of the union's RAA and customers where there was an underlying issue regarding the mode of their delivery. According to management, the issue brought forth in the instant grievance did not rise to the level of a joint statement violation. Management contended that none of the statements provided by the union provide proof that management has created a hostile work environment or violated the joint statement. The service asserted that the union filed this class action grievance in an attempt to revisit previously adjudicated grievances and prejudice the arbitrator against P.M. Ragsdale. The service further asserted that not one employee, not one letter carrier from the Clinton Post Office testified at arbitration to substantiate the union's allegation. Management contended that if the union's allegations are to be believed, there would be letter carriers lined up outside the hearing room waiting to tell their story, yet not a single employee witness was produced. They further contended that the allegations were true. Officials from the APW and clerks who were at the Clinton Post Office would also be at hearing waiting to testify, but that did not occur. That's why we have statements. That's why we have statements, so people don't have to come testify. We have statements so that they can be read and can be seen by the arbitrator. This is my story. And it's on paper. It's good as gold. These cases, most, most of the time, 90% are statement-driven. Okay? So statements, statements, statements. You can pick out a few great statements and have those come in there and testify, but it's not needed. Uh, statements are gold. Management disputed the union's claim that the interaction on January 27, 2020 between PM Ragsdale and CC Owens amounted to a violation of joint statement on violence and behavior in the workplace. When the alleged victim did not testify, the service contended that the silence of CTO is as deafening and discounted the union's account where they stated that Miss Owens says she just wants to put it all behind her. Management noted that C.C. Owens worked for almost a year after January 27, 2020 incident until resigning in December 2020 from an office which P.M. Ragsdale managed. The service maintained that it is not credible to believe that Miss Owens did not feel safe enough to appear in a hearing where the arbitrator, postal advocate, and union advocates were all present. They asserted that the union provided no effort in seeking to have this former employee appear by offering testimony via telephone or having the arbitrator issue a subpoena to secure her testimony as a witness. 
and alleged victim in the incident. Management again requested that the arbitrator draw an adverse inference from the failure of CCOs to appear and answer questions under oath, and we shot that down with the witness testimony. The arbitrator, in her opinion, if you read the decision, she puts a lot on the witness testimony, a lot, and uh, she talks about that. It's a great read. Management contended that even if the arbitrator were to determine that a violation of the joint statement occurred, they argued that there has been little or no activity from that office for nearly a year since the filing of the instant grievance and no indication that there is any enduring behavior on the part of PM Kirby, which should be addressed in this drastic manner requested by the union. The service maintained that if a violation occurred on January 27, 2020, the remedy granted should be limited in scope. They suggested a cease and desist order or off-site training regarding interpersonal relationships, but not a drastic measure such as barring PM Ragsdale from ever supervising carriers. Management contended that this would unnecessarily impact his career as we would lose experience and the involuntary transfer to another position would be a black mark on any resume and a severe limitation on what jobs he would qualify for in the future. Management asserted that the instant case does not support such a drastic remedy as requested by the union. It was the position of management that P.M. Ragsdale was simply performing his duties as a manager while conducting street supervision on January 27, 2020. The service asked the arbitrator to acknowledge that P.M. Ragsdale had a right to be on the street on the incident date, and he observed a legitimate deficiency when C.C. Owens did not follow the established procedure for delivery of mail. And they put in there the M39 language. Management argued that performing street management is an essential responsibility of P.M. Ragsdale, and he has every right and responsibility to observe carriers at all times while on the street. The arbitration process is not a trial, according to management. Here, the union's advocate attempted to place P.M. Ragsdale on trial. <laughs> I sure did. And they asked the arbitrator to convict him on a violation of the joint statement. Sure did. They did so by rehashing previously adjudicated Step B team decisions, contended management. That's right. The service maintained that the JSOV was drafted to prevent matters from escalating in order to avoid another Royal Oak, Michigan, not to hand down punishment. The service argued that physical contact, profanity, threats, finger pointing, in-your-face confrontation are all the sort of actions that have been held to violate the joint statement. Management contended that none of that behavior occurred in the instant case. They further contend that PM Ragsdale testified that none of that type behavior occurred. The union stipulated that Supervisor Jackson would corroborate P.M. Ragsdale's testimony, and the union provided no evidence to rebut their testimony. In conclusion, the service argued that the case at bar is a contract case, and the union has the burden to establish that a violation of the national agreement occurred through the submission of probative and persuasive evidence. The service further argued that the allegations of violations which are not substantiated by evidence are simply allegations. Here, management contended that union failed to provide a requisite proof for the arbitrator to conclude that on January 27, 2020, Postmaster Kirby Ragsdale violated the joint statement on violence behavior in the workplace or any other provision of the national agreement between the USPS and NLC. The service maintained that the JSOV is not a license for arbitrators to involve themselves in day-to-day management decisions. They contend that such intrusion should be limited to the egregious and extraordinary situations that the joint statement was generally intended to address. Should the arbitrator find that a violation occurred, the service requested that the union remedy not be awarded and that the arbitrator reflect on her own comment at hearing that the January 27, 2020 incident was relatively minor. Management argued that the incident on January 27, 2020, even if found by the arbitrator to be regrettable, did not violate the joint statement or any other provision of the national agreement. Based on their argument and contentions, as well as the evidence of record, the service requested that the grievance be denied its entirety. I'm sorry about all that reading. I am sorry. But I want to show you management's positions when it deals with a joint statement. Here a young lady got berated in front of customers on her route. Berated now. Berated. And you see how they spend that. Now that's their job. That's their job to do. The history in this case file is some of the worst you will ever see. The things that were brought out by Mr. Atchley in this hearing were some of the worst things you will ever see as far as management carrier relationships. It was 
atrocious. And this is how they come to the hearing. Now, when I go represent somebody to removal, I'm going to spin it the same way. <laughs> but here's someone with 14, 13, 14 years has been doing the same thing. And that's what I told the arbitrator. Look, we're here. We're taking over. Okay. And she says that in her remarks on the union's position. We're not dealing with management anymore. We appreciate them coming, but we don't need them. Thank y'all. We're going to take over this. And that's what we did. That's what we did. Understand where management's coming from. It's about the numbers. And and read her decision on both of these. She, she dissects them and she destroys them. Okay? About making the numbers. It's all the same argument. All right? That's a lot of reading and I apologize for that. But I need you to understand when you're putting your case file together, this is generally where management is coming from. Okay? They're coming from the, uh, the side of the carriers can't be managed. They don't want to be managed. Uh, we have a responsibility to manage on the street. Uh, none of these things violate the joint statement. That's where they come from. Okay? And you're going to hear that a lot. Let's go to Article 3. Because this is another thing that they'd like to, to throw in there. Now, remember, all of these same things were argued in front of National Arbitrator Snow. And he shot all of these arguments down, okay? He shot all of these arguments down. Here's, here's Article 3, all right? And this is, this is one of management's arguments that we will always deal with when dealing with a joint statement case, okay? Article 3. Page 3-1, the employer shall have the exclusive right. Now, they will always use that. They will always use that. Okay? That's where they'll stop. The employer shall have the exclusive right. That means they have the only right. That's what exclusive means. They have the only right subject to the provisions of this agreement and consistent with applicable laws and regulations. A, to direct employees to the employer in the performance of official duties. They'll use that on us to hire, promote, transfer, assign, and retain employees in positions within the postal service and to suspend, demote, discharge, or take other disciplinary action against such employees. That's where they, that's where they try to get us every single time. They're the only ones that can do it, Madam Arbitrator. We're the only ones that have the exclusive right to demote or to suspend or to discharge. The union does not have that right. They cannot now come in here and say that they do. They don't have the right to do that. They don't have the right to ask for that. That's their argument. To maintain the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it. That's another one that they use. They just don't want to be managed. Look, we're charged with operating with managing the postal service. That's what we're charged to do. And we're going to do it. Carriers don't like it. They don't like when we do because we step on some toes but we're trying to maintain the efficiency of the operations entrusted to it. They're not efficient. We put in this documentation showing where they were not efficient. We put all these reports in there to show you that carriers at this station are not efficient. And we have a manager in there that's trying to make them efficient, and they don't like it. They just don't like it. Their overtime was way up. This manager has come in with a different manager style. The overtime is now down, and they hate it. Look, don't hold us responsible because we're managing these people that don't want to be managed. That's their argument. That's what they're going to say. It happens all the time. To determine the methods, means, and personnel by which such operations are to be conducted. To prescribe a uniform dress to be worn by letter carriers and other designated employees. And to take whatever actions may be necessary to carry out its mission in emergency situations. An i.e. an unforeseen circumstance or a combination of circumstances will cause for immediate action in a situation which is not expected to be of a recurring nature. Okay? Now here's where we get them. Here's where all of this comes in. The next part, down here at the bottom. The Postal Service's exclusive rights under Article 3 are basically the same as its statutory rights under the Postal Reorganization Act, 39 U.S.C. Section 1001E. While postal management has the right to manage the postal service, it must act in accordance with applicable laws, regulations, contract provisions, and arbitration awards. Arbitrator Snow, 
letters of agreement, and memoranda. Consequently, many of the management rights enumerated in Article 3 are limited by the negotiated contract provisions. Bam. That's where we get them. Okay? For example, the Postal Service's Article 3 right to suspend, demote, discharge, or take other disciplinary action against employees is subject to the provisions of Articles 15 and 16. Let's give you an example. So, when management comes in there, whether informal, which they want, formal, maybe, B-team, more than likely, arbitration, definitely. And they say, look, we're the only ones that have the exclusive rights to demote, Madam Arbitrator. You don't have that right. You don't have that right. It's the same argument they made in front of Arbitrator Snow. And he shot that down. We do have the right. It's under Article 15, right? Told y'all about that in the last episode or a few episodes ago. Those are the arguments that management's going to make. And those are the arguments to be ready for, okay? Put your case file together. Get great statements. If you got a history, read your history. Advocates, and I know I'm not telling you how to do your job, but if you got 30 B team decisions in your case file, read every single one of them. Read every single one and get management's arguments out of there. What is their argument? Write down. In 2010, the argument was this, in 2011, the argument was this, and look at them. They're going to be the same. And then when you go to hearing, that's what you're going to tell the arbitrator. Madam arbitrator, look, this is the same hogwash we've been hearing for 10 years now. It's the same argument. If you look on page 27 of the file, what does that say? Bam. If you look on page 37 of the file, what does that say? Bam. It's the same crap we're hearing today. And they were found in violation every single time they used it. There's nothing different with the argument here today. So that's it. it Read everything. Read everything. I've said that in a hundred episodes. Read everything. Read it all. That's how you beat management. You read everything you've got. Okay? I'm hoping that that's helped you today. That's the final episode of our JSOV journey. Um, That's management's position. That's how they feel about us. All right, let me say let me say this. I'm going to go on a rant, and I hope you don't mind. I've got a lot of people contacting me needing help because their shop steward won't help, the president won't help, their business agent won't help. Look, I don't know what's going on in your branch, in your region. I don't know. But I know this. I know this, if, if you're someone in higher echelon of the NALC and you're telling people they don't have the right to things, such as these closing briefs, had a gentleman contact me and said, hey, how do I get them because my business agent won't give them to me? They said that they've got them, but we're not privy to that. We're not going to have that. Let me say something. <laughs> Let me say something. That is crap. That is crap. How dare you? You work for us. You work for us. We don't work for you. You work for us. You don't tell me what I can't and cannot have. If I need something to advance my case file or to make it better, you damn well better give it to me. You work for me. I pay dues. That's what I do. That's how you get your check because you don't work for the Postal Service anymore. You work for the union and you get paid because of me. So if I call you and I say, hey, I need this and you say, no, you can't have it. Who in the hell are you? Hey, look, y'all ever see that movie 300? This, This is how I feel. That movie 300, do you remember when King Leonidas was taking his 300 to, to go fight? And he meets up with that other army, the Arcadians, remember that? And he's talking to Daxos, he's the leader of the Arcadian, the little army that they bring. And Daxos is looking at King Leonidas and he's like, that's all you brought? Man, we're fixing to go fight the largest army ever assembled, and that's all you brought? And Leonidas says, looks at his arm and he says, hey, bud, what do you do? I'm a potter. 
Hmm. And what do you do? I'm a blacksmith. All right. And what do you do? I'm a carpenter. And he looks back at his people and said, hey, what do y'all do? Remember, they started doing that chant. And he says, see, I brought more warriors than you did. That is me to a T. I want everybody to be warriors. I want all of the NLC to be warriors. Why would you want anything other than that? Why would you want me to have all the knowledge and my people to have none? That is absolutely asinine. That is asinine. I want, I want every care of my... Now, they do because they got a lot of time at my station. They know their stuff. I want them to know more than I do. Why? Because when I'm gone, I don't worry about a thing. When I'm gone to arbitrations or to training, I don't worry about a thing. You know why? Because my people know their stuff. Why would you not want your people to be warriors? I don't understand that for the life of me. I don't. Shame on you, whoever that is. Uh, it's down south in my region. I know that. Dad gum, man. If somebody saying, hey, can you send me this? Because I'm trying to build my case. Well, no, we have it, but you don't need it. Son. Hey, make your warriors, man. Make your people warriors. I, when I was growing up, I had a guy who's my best friend named Junior Tibbs, a fighter, a street fighter. This kid, he fought everybody. So you know what? When I was uh, at school and somebody's like, after school, you know, me and my buddies are going to come back. You know who I called? Junior Tibbs. You know why? Because he's a fighter. <laughs> And, and he would end it all before I could come out of the house. If they brought four, it was over with before I stepped out my front door. He was a fighter. I didn't go get a kid who sat on the couch and ate Twinkies all day. I didn't go get that one. I got the guy who I knew loved it and wanted to do it <laughs> and was great at it. I got Junior Tibbs. Why would you not want your people to be junior tips? Huh? Why would you want them to be uneducated as far as the contract is concerned? God dog, man. Hey, we're in a fight here if y'all haven't noticed. We're in a fight here if you've not noticed. Educate your people as much as you can. Educate them as much as you can. Anything I know, I'm trying to tell y'all. I don't know everything. Like I said from the beginning, I'm no expert at anything. I've dealt with a lot of stuff. I've dealt with thousands of grievances. So I'm just trying to tell you a little bit of what I know. But gum, man. Don't ever forget, baby. Y'all work for us. We pay your salary. Don't screw us. Somebody else will be sitting in that seat. Somebody else will be sitting in that seat who wants to help who wants to educate, who wants warriors. Be careful. Be careful. Another thing. If you're a shop steward and your carriers come to you with something and you go to management and you snitch on them, step down. Step down. To me, the only thing worse than management is a snitch. The only thing worse than management is a snitch because I know where management's coming from. They're trifling as hell. I know where they're coming from, but a snitch, I don't know about you. You're a snake. You're in the bushes. You're in the weeds. I can't see you. I don't know what you're doing. You're hiding. That's what snitches do. When I was a kid, my brother, who was a hellion, he was 17 months older than me. He was a hellion. He's my next door neighbor, this girl. She had a skateboard. She's skating down our hill. We had a big hill. Skating down this hill and the skate. She comes off the skateboard. My brother, I don't know why he did this. <laughs> he just takes the skateboard and he throws it as high as he can up in the air. I, that sucker, and we were little now, probably uh, 10, 11. And it goes way up in the air, up, probably by where the street light is. Comes down, plack up breaks in half 
Okay. I don't know why he did that. That's just my brother. That's how he was. So she starts crying, goes and gets her mama. And they come over my mom who was old school. Now, let me tell you, anybody knows my mother? She's old school. So comes out and she's like, what happened? So the girl and her mom's there. Well, your son threw the skateboard up in there and broke it. And she looks at me. It's like, Corey. And I said, yeah, he threw it up in the air and it broke. My mom's like, okay. She's like, we'll buy you another one. Sorry. She's like, we'll take care of it. So we come in. My mom goes upstairs. You can hear. I was like, oh, my brother's fixing to get a beating. She comes down, got this belt. I was like, oh, my poor brother. She came over to me and beat my ass. She beat me. (laughs) I was spinning around in circles, man, trying to get away from that beating. And she beat me. I don't know how long it was, but she beat me forever. And she said, don't you ever snitch on a family member ever again. Do you hear me? Yes, ma'am. You don't ever snitch on a family member, ever, and pay for the skateboard. You know what I learned from that day on? Not to be a snitch, especially against a family member. You know what we are in the NALC? We're family members. That's what we are. We're brothers and sisters. Baby, if you don't get that, get the hell out. We don't need you, and we don't need your kind. You're a hindrance to what we're trying to do here. You're a hindrance. If you're a snitch, get the hell out of the union and go do something else. Go into management with the rest of them. I don't, I guess you can tell. (laughs) I don't like people calling me or messaging me that they've gone to their steward about something and the steward went to management and, and they snitched on them. You're low life. You're low life. You're a coward. You're a coward. That's what you are. And li- listen to me. I'm not saying anything on here I wouldn't say to you. If we go to the National Convention, I'll be there. I'll be there. If you want to talk to me about something, let's address it. Let's address it. But I'm not going to have my brothers and sisters injured because you're a snitching coward. I'm sorry I got on that rant. That's not that's not me. That's not me. I'm not like that, man. I'm not. I love my people to death dearly. But God dog, hey, when we're in this together, I thought that's what that union is, right? We're in this together. Act like it. If your people call you and they need things, give it to them. If you can't help them, tell them why. If they don't have a grievance, if they have a gripe rather than a grievance, tell them why. Show them why. Don't dismiss them, man. Don't dismiss them. Okay? Hey, look, look, we're in this together. That's the only way we'll succeed. That's the only way we will succeed is if we understand that we are all we have. Right? Like 300. They are all they had, and they fought to the death That's us, man. We got more warriors than they do. Train your people to be warriors. Train your people to be warriors, okay? Hey, this was my final episode on the joint statement. (laughs) On the joint statement. I hope that it's helped you. I do. It's important. Second to discipline to me. Second to discipline. uh, Because it affects my brothers and sisters. And I hate it. I hate it. It torments me. It torments me to hear my brothers and sisters hurt. It does. And I'm going to get involved every time when I can. Uh, Hope you all enjoyed that. It's a lot of reading. Again, I apologize for that. I don't like reading that much. But I wanted you all to see where management's coming from, especially at the informal and formal, because you don't normally see that all the time. You don't see that side of it unless you read it. Where they're going when they get to hearing. This is where they go. All right? Uh, This is what they do. So when you're at informal and they're just flipping through the file like Cat did with me, all right, I saw it. They don't care. They don't care. But know where they're coming from. That way it'll help you in the file. 
Know where they're coming from. Read decisions on the joint statement. Uh, and another thing, and this is turning to, I thought this would be about 30 minutes. I apologize, but I didn't know this. I didn't know that when I tell you to look up sites that most of you can't. Because when you get on the members page, that's for advocates and presidents. I did not know that. And I am so sorry. I am so sorry that I did not know that. Um, and some of y'all saying you had to look them up online. Dad gum, I had no idea. I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, I'm sitting here like everybody. I, I didn't even think of that. That because I'm an advocate, I have access to that. I didn't think of that. Um, so when I'm telling you all these numbers, people are messaging me. Hey, how do you get this? Look, message me. To my detriment, I'm going to put my email on this episode. I'm going to put my email on there. Probably going to regret that. <laughs> but if I tell you a site and you can't find it, email me and I will shoot it to you immediately. Or try to immediately. I have one gentleman. I just got his today. Told him Friday I'd get him. But uh, I will shoot those to you. I read as much as I can B-team decisions and arbitrator's decisions to see where they're coming from and arguments made, management's position. That's how I get myself better, smarter, and wiser, okay? But I'll do that for you. I'll do that for you. If you can't find a site, holler at me. I'll shoot it to you. I promise you that, okay? Hey, I love every single one of y'all, man. I do. I've not seen half of, hardly any of you. But you're my brothers and you're my sisters. And we're in this fight together. Whatever part of the country you are in, we are in this fight together. And the only way we're going to win this fight is through education. It's through knowledge. Okay? That's how we win this fight. And we're going to do everything we can to gain it. All right? Y'all have a blessed rest of the day. I'm going to try to have JB in here on my next episode. He's got a great thing on Deems. I've saw some things, seen some people asking about Deems online. He's, he's an expert at Deems. Perfect at it. And the things that you ask, I promise you, some of y'all have never heard some of this stuff. He's going to tell you to request, but he's going to tell you why you request it. And uh, it's going to be a great episode, very knowledgeable. Uh, he's going to do a good job for me. I know it. Y'all take care of yourselves. Have a blessed week, okay? And I'll talk to y'all in the next episode. All right? Bye-bye.